Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mammoth. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. What's up, y'all? It's Zach from Corporate Corporate. Look, every now and then we try to mix it up for y'all because you know so look dependency and consistency is really important but even within those lanes of consistency you got to have a little bit of variety you know what i mean you don't come home and just eat the same thing every day or even if you do you know you got a meal prep thing maybe sometimes you put a little red sauce maybe sometimes you put a little green sauce you know you gotta just you know mix it up from time to time maybe sometimes you grill it maybe sometimes you saute maybe sometimes you rotisserie you gotta just am i hungry yes i'm hungry y'all my bad listen check it out we have another entry (laughs) For y'all from our See It to Be It series, Amy C. Weininger, CEO of Lead at Any Level, as well as the author of Network Beyond Bias. She's actually been a member of the team for a while now. So shout out to you, Amy. Yes. Thank you very much for all of your work here. Um, And part of her work has been in driving the series called See It to Be It. And the purpose of the series is to actually highlight black and brown professionals in these very prestigious roles, like within uh, industries that may be. We and when I say we, I mean black and brown folks. I see y'all that we may not always even know exist or envision ourselves in. Hence the name of the series. Right. So check this out. We're going to go ahead and transition from here. The next thing you're going to hear is an interview with Amy C. Weininger and a super dope professional. I know y'all going to love it. Catch y'all next time. Peace. Robert, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great, Amy. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. I was hoping that you could tell me a little bit about how you got involved in risk management and what about it appealed to you? Wow. So I I have to go back a little bit because um, risk management was not a field that I had even thought about because uh, my background is actually HR. And I managed a couple of plants, manufacturing plants, and... um, when I took over uh, one plant, it was in Philadelphia, and uh, they also made me head of plant operations. And the first issue I encountered was an OSHA citation. It was about $160,000. And uh, it um, it kind of threw me into the field of what was this all about and what are we looking at? So I didn't understand the term risk, and this is like in the early 90s when this occurred. And I think it was more of a thing of, you know, the exposure or the things that we had to figure out how we're going to manage them. So one of the things that the the owner asked me to do is to look more into what that was all about. And so that was my first 
exposure to what risk management was. Now, going another eight years, and at this point now, I'm working for Bridgestone. I was overseeing part of their work comp program. And as I was moving further along with that, I got exposed to from the insurance side and uh, from the claim side of things of, you know, the exposures and the risk associated with it. And so I wanted to learn more about it. So I, I looked it up on Yahoo. That was before Google. So Yahoo was a big search engine back then. So I'm dating myself. But, um, but Yahoo was, it was a search engine and it talked about risk management organizations. And I wanted to find out more about it. They directed me to a this risk and insurance management society. And they had a local chapter, the Delaware Valley chapter in the greater Philadelphia area. And I, I went to their meetings and that's when I started to really learn more about all the elements that involve risk management. It, it is a vast, vast operation. And um, a lot of things that are done, especially from the RIMS perspective, is more volunteer based. So there's a lot of volunteers that were trying to put together risk management programs for their communities and their communities spread across the world. So that was my first exposure to risk management. The other thing was I found that was very interesting is that it was so interconnected with business. And a lot of times businesses are siloed. You have um, uh, operations is doing one thing and HR is doing something else. And, uh, you know, finance is doing, they were all kind of siloed. Whereas risk management was really trying to be the, the gatekeeper for all of those and trying to put them all together and say, there are all elements of exposure that will harm the company. We need to find ways to do a, you know, do a better job with that. So I, I think, you know, short answer to that is that uh, I, I kind of researched it, fell into risk management. It wasn't a career that I chose, but the career chose me. And so uh, here I am 35, 36 years later and just really being an advocate for risk management. That's fantastic. Did you go through any formal training for this or did you really just research this on your own and um, kind of pull from these these different disciplines? Uh, yeah, so I, I did get my CRM, my Certified Risk Manager uh, designation. So I went through those five principles of risk management, risk finance, risk factors, risk analysis, and things like that. To kind of give you a basis of what risk management was for and that that really i think was the biggest education that i got because i didn't know anything about it and that was really the exposure so i i did that uh, i got my certification that way started to bring some of that information back into my company but at the same time i was getting more and more involved with the uh, the risk management organization the rims organization and so through the local chapter was able to really kind of build a, uh, a very robust program that was going to benefit the community that we were serving. And then I found that it was on a global level. And so I started to get involved with other committees and other councils uh, that handled other parts of what risk management was. And I had the opportunity to serve as their global president last year. So that was, uh, it, was it was a crowning uh, achievement to my career this far. That is an amazing story. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting to me to hear how many people really fall in love with a career path or even get exposure to a career path through associations. Yes. Because I think a lot of folks and I, you know, I didn't know about associations and I think that's true of a lot of people, especially if you're first generation um, in, in the professional workplace, your first generation college student, 
you know, you may not realize that these associations are even out there and they're a wonderful way to explore different career possibilities and network with people, find out what they like about their job, what they, you know, what they would change about their job if they could and, Mm -hmm. you know, really get exposure to a lot of different disciplines along the way. Yes, you're correct. Absolutely right. Um, so what's been the biggest surprise to you about risk management? Something that you weren't expecting when you decided to take the leap? Ah, well, let's see. I think the biggest thing I found that it was, um, I, I think the connectivity of it is, uh, it's a universal language. Um, and I think going to the convention at the annual conferences, that was a big thing for me, seeing so many people kind of doing the same thing. Uh, then I realized I wasn't on the island by myself, handling the issues that were happening in my company, sharing some of the best practices, uh, the peer-to-peer connections, and then the networking aspect where the first time you go, you don't know a lot of people. The second time, you know, a few more, they introduce you to some people. And, and after about three, four years, and all of a sudden, it's like, you know, it's like a, a family gathering all over again. You're, you're seeing people you haven't seen before. They're introducing you to more people, and so your network just gets bigger and bigger every year. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the future holds for talent needs in risk management? Do you see this as something that's going to be, um, that there are going to be more jobs in this field? Or do you see it as something that maybe, um, you know, artificial intelligence will be taking over? You know, are you mm-hmm. going to be working with machines and robots in the future? Or do you need okay. more people in this space? So, so interesting thing about that, and this is one thing I've been championing, I've been talking about the 21st century version of risk management. The 20th century version of risk management is the person or the risk manager is the person who bought insurance to protect any liabilities for a company. That was, that was the basis of risk management, an insurance person, a person who bought the insurance or who, who set up the policies and the policy writing, underwriters and things of that regard. It has since expanded into a multi-dimensional, I guess, job description because uh, IT falls under risk management, HR falls under risk management, um, finance falls under risk management, safety falls under risk management, audit falls under risk management. So all of these disciplines, any business, anything that a business is associated with has an element of risk. And so the 21st century risk manager is now going to look at things not so much as how much insurance do we need to have in order to cover our loss. They have to look at risk management now from the aspect of saying, what are we going to do to save the company money by putting processes and procedures in place to stop and mitigate the losses that we have? Or, and here's a challenge for the 21st century risk manager, the unknown unknowns, the things you don't even know that you don't see. Yes, the company is doing great. We've got a three-year positive trend of, of losses and, and things that are happening in that regard. But what else is going to happen around the corner that we don't know about? That's what the future of risk management is. So the digitalization of risk management, that is very key. That is very key. It's very critical. The next generation, we're looking to them to help lead us in that regard. So my push and my passion has been for 21st century risk managers they're the ones who understand technology, AI, blockchain, all the things that are out there that we hear that are coming on the horizon. You still need people to manage that level of risk, whether you're working with machines or whether you're doing AI, which is being done right now in the insurance field. AI is now writing insurance policies. 
So there's a lot of things that still need the people side to drive that and to understand and to direct AI to do those things. And I, I think my exposure this past year, having traveled around the world a little bit, has shown me that around the world, there are a lot of things that are happening in spaces that we haven't even touched here in the United States. There's a need for people to understand how we can fix these problems. So I, I talk to college students now and I say, do you want to be a risk manager? Here's your job. Find the process, the solution to the problem. You say when you go into a company and say, we don't really know what's going on. You're, you're new to the organization and you start asking questions. Before you start asking questions about why are we doing it this way? Ask yourself that question, come up with the answer. When you go into the next meeting and someone and you ask that question, well, why are we doing it this way? And they say, well, we've been doing it this way for 20 years and it's working. Why do you ask that question? When you come up with an answer or a solution that they didn't see, then you're the risk manager. All of a sudden now you're the problem solver. You're the one that's going to help them save money, be relevant, and be able to take that company and go forward with it. The other thing I will say is that the future risk management is critically tied in with strategic thinking because we, we're raising a group of, of students now who are getting risk management degrees. They didn't have that when I, when I went to college. That, just, that didn't exist. And so now people are coming out of college with risk management degrees or they're taking things that are, that are tied in with that actuarial, underwriting, uh, even on a broker side. Those are all things that they need to know in order to help their company go forward. So I tell people, go into a company. It doesn't matter if, if because there's not a lot of risk management uh, jobs that you can get right out of college. There's no not a lot of entry-level jobs that are like that. There are some companies that have risk management positions that they don't know what they call it. Uh, they put you into a different category, but it's really fighting with risk management. The thing I say to them is understand the mission and vision of your organization. Find out what that is, because that's your basis. That is your starting point to have a conversation with anybody in your company. Once you understand what the mission and vision is, because everybody's connected to that, they have to be. That's that's the basis of the company. So when you look at that, that's your that's your catalyst to move forward. So yeah, twenty risk management. Oh, it's relevant in the twenty first century. It's needed. And and so Amy, here's another point to the whole thing. Persons like myself who have been in this industry 35, 40 years, the next ten years, there's a statistic that says four hundred thousand of us are going to be sunsetting off into other pursuits who's filling that gap so there's a there's a need a drastic need for people to fill that gap who in my opinion no technology have grown up only on technology no digital technology they live eat sleep breathe it they're the folks that we need to have in to understand how to take this to the next level because there are things that aren't even regulated right now we're talking about ai let's talk about drones let's talk about autonomous vehicles there's no legislation for that they're still trying to figure it out. So who's going to figure this out? So there needs to be, there's a need for that. And that's the answer to the short question. I'm no, sorry. that's perfect. And you know, what you're bringing <laughs> up are, is the intersection of private sector um, initiatives, you know, public sector initiatives. There's a lot of, you know, there are community implications for this beyond the companies, beyond the legislators, but you know, just really in, in small towns and cities, you know, um, right in terms of education, yes. you know, schools need to be prepared for this. And so I think that this, um, 
one of the things I love about the insurance industry as a whole is that it just intersects every other part of the economy and risk management is a little bit broader even than insurance in mm-hmm. that it um, intersects all of these things, but it also overlays them in a way that um, maybe some other disciplines don't. So right. I like the advice about if you're a strategic thinker, this is a great place for you. Exactly. Well, you know, most organizations right now, their their focus is on strategic thinking. They're looking at leaders who can put them in a position to be more successful. Anybody can write a policy and we can say that we're protected. But what does that really mean? And, and, and what are the real needs of the organization? Do you need a $10 million writer? Who knows? But that's a person that needs to examine that and find out what, what it is that they really need. And what are they doing to prevent the incidents or the issues that are happening? Uh, what are they looking at so far as other methods and means of making the company more successful without an expense? So I, I, I kind of look at uh, like a friend of mine, he used the expression loss prevention is profit retention. And a lot of times you don't think about it from that perspective, but that's really what it is if you put the elements in place. Thank you. Yeah. Is is brand um, preservation, reputation, is that, does that fall under the risk management uh, umbrella as well? Absolutely. And Absolutely. I'm thinking specifically about, you know, some of the companies that we've heard about in the news lately where they have not, they've clearly not had uh, diversity among their decision makers and right. they've made horrible, horrible mistakes in the marketplace and very hurtful mistakes in the marketplace um, in terms of, you know, how they've treated their workers, how they've treated their consumers, um, how they've established their brand. Do you see marketing as being um, maybe if a, a primary stakeholder or a future primary stakeholder in this work? Uh, I would say absolutely so. And, and and to your point, we've seen a lot of things where even in marketing or advertising that they've taken some polarizing uh, images uh, under the guise of, oh, we didn't know it was offensive, but at the same time, it put them publicity. So so there's 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 like a, a double-edged sword with that. So is there there's an ethical component, I think, to to everything that most people are missing. And the ethical thing is, is not that it's the right thing to do, it's doing the right thing. And doing the right thing means that you have a responsibility to your shareholders and to your public, whereas a lot of times people will focus on their rights. And we have a right to advertise this, we have a right to market this, we have a right to display this. And they, they don't look at the responsibility as the, as the other side of that. So it's, it's, I would say to, your, to answer your question, marketing, yes, that's a very big issue. And there's a risk manage there's a risk management process that's tied in with that because the thing you have to look at is if we market the wrong thing, how does it impact the bottom line of the organization? Um, Nike did something just recently uh, with a with a person who the NFL did not really want to be involved with. It was something that was controversial, kind of brought the people's attention to something, uh, but at the same time there was a backlash behind it too. But I think one of the when you talk about marketing, one of the commercials that I like post the Super Bowl was the one on, I think what's the design is, um, uh, if you call it crazy. And it talked about women um, and how they were say they were crazy to do that. Women wanted to play sports or she wanted to run in a marathon or you know, she wanted to do these things or, or she's too emotional or she's, and they were talking about all these things. Hold on, if that's the case, 
then let's see, just showing what crazy is. Great advertisement, right? But the reality is that people still don't understand that that level of diversity is what is needed because women are the buying power. I mean, you, you have women that are 60, 70% of the buying power of, of this country. You're not going to, you're not going to cater to that. So the funny thing I found just in my travels is that now uh, the hotels I've been staying at, I've noticed this in the last eight, 10, 12 years, using more and more comforters and duvets and things like that that they didn't have back before. Why? Because there are more women travelers. Women want more comfort. And so they, they designed that to say, well, we're adding more comfort to your stay. Everything is designed around comfort now. I don't mind it. It's actually, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> You're getting so, some medicine out of that. Well, I don't, yeah, so I, I don't think I would have asked for that because, you know, if I had a sheet, I'm okay. But a duvet is kind of nice to have, you know. So there are a lot of things that, that if you don't include the population of which you're serving, you're missing out on a big part of what humanity and what risk management is all about. Absolutely. To your point about hotels, if I go to a hotel and there's not a, a counter, enough yeah. counter space for my makeup, I don't say <laughs> again. And the reason I don't is because I know that there were not women involved in the design of those hotel rooms because That's no woman would design a bathroom where she couldn't have a place to put her makeup. And so <laughs> it's like, well, okay. clearly you didn't want me bad enough to, to invite me back. So, and if you, and if you feel that way and you just happen to share it casually with a friend who sends you with another friend, now you have people where there's, they're not, they're not, and business people are not going to a certain chain. Mm -hmm. There's a reputational risk that they didn't even realize. So then the people who are marketing and saying, uh, we want to drive more revenue. Everything is about growth and sustainability. We want to drive more revenue. Uh, and we know that men like to travel and do this. If, if you're missing that side of demographic, like you said, that becomes this whole silent killer. And next thing you know, boom, you're gone. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're going to spend you know, millions of dollars renovating, um, renovating your property, you better make sure yes. you get all the stakeholders in the room before you cut that check and before it's finished because then it's exactly. too late. Right. right. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, you've already uh, alluded to RIMS, um, but I know you're doing some more work in RIMS about, um, you know, future of talent and diversifying talent in risk management. Uh, but what are some of, so we'll just start there. What are some of the things that RIMS is doing um, okay. to engage, you know, a different kind of workforce maybe than risk management has seen in the past? Right. So I think one of the things that um, it, it was, things happen, you know, the, the timing is always everything, right? And um, I, the, I am their first, I'm the first African-American president of this organization. So we've been in existence for about 67 years. So uh, that was a, thank you, thank you. That was, that was a milestone in itself. And I reflect back on a time when they asked me to be on the global board. And the person who called me was a friend of mine, but he was also involved with that whole process of, of having selecting the next person to come on. And first I thought he was kidding with me. And I say, yeah, whatever. You don't have any diversity on the board. So, and then we're going around and around. And I says, okay, so is this like a backdoor deal? He says, Robert, you can't get into the back door with this organization. You can only get in the front door and it's only by way of what you do in your merits and leadership and things like that. So I, cause I, it, it just, I'm like, well, okay, so I'm the, how, how did that even happen? 
So as time goes on, and so now as a president, I as as I was thinking about my presidency and what I wanted to do, my my theme was about legacy, and my theme focused on the fact of we need to know where we came from to know where we're going. If we're talking about risk management being relevant, yes, we need to understand our past. We also need to understand the future and where we're going. Diversity is important. If you don't have diversity, then you're not you're gonna you're not gonna be relevant. Um, Society is dictating that. They're insisting on it. Um, I saw that in my travels around the world where they're importing diversity. They're importing the talent because they want to have what that is. Uh, companies here in the United States are globally are global. The majority of the big companies are they have a global presence. And, and if you don't include the type of marketing, as you said, as a woman, it doesn't have you know, space for your cosmetics, then you're losing out on that part of it. So when I think about what I wanted to expand on as president was diversity and inclusion, that it needs to be something that we get past the conversation of, of this as a, as a now, something that we talk about. I, I want to get it to the point where it needs to be a verb. And so we, we took that, RIMS took that, that perspective. Uh, we we uh, struck a task force to delve into whether this was something that as an organization we wanted to be involved with. And uh, I'm pleased to say that we, the board of directors um, created a new council, a diversity and inclusion advisory council uh, that's, uh, that was launched this year. And I was asked to be chair of that, that council. So, so uh, we've got uh, international presence. We've got, um, <clears throat> we've got women, men. We've got, uh, we, we got the LGBTQ uh, uh, corner covered. We, we have every element covered when we talk about so far as what we want to do as an organization, because we have to walk that talk, in my opinion. Absolutely. So as a result of that, it becomes more of a thing where we say, what is the next steps? So what RIMS is going to look at, we're going to dive into this using the collective firepower of the people who are on this council. And some of these people in this council are already in that field from a global level, from a local level, from an international level. Uh, matter of fact, my vice chair is from New Zealand. So just to kind of give you a perspective that way. But she, she brings another perspective to that. So what we want to do is now we want to take this and say, okay, how do we help the next, how do we help the next generation understand what this is? How do we help risk managers understand what that is? As a part of the risk management discipline, DNI or a diverse group is a must. It can't be something that we just continue to talk about. But I'm really excited about this, and and so I, there's just so much. It's just so much. You know, Amy, I, when I started my presidency, people were reaching out to me, and the first group that reached out to me was women of color, and they asked me to speak to their group, and then from there, I, I spoke to the National Rural African American Insurance Association, NIA, and then there was a Latin organization that asked me to speak to them, and so so there's, there was an influx of people who were coming in. And for the first time, RIMS decided that we want to have a, a DNI meeting at our conference in San Antonio last year. It was set up for about 100, 150 people. I'm standing in front because myself and another person was speaking. And people were filling in, and they were filling in, and then they were bringing more chairs in, and they, they filled all the chairs that they brought in. And the last count was about 250 people that were crammed into that room over something that we thought might be a good idea. And that I think was a catalyst for us 
to say, okay, you know what, we need to we need to take this thing even further. So I'm 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 honored to to be able to lead this council going forward. But I, I just I just think that there's so much need that 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 has already been done that no one knows about. That's that's the second part. There's a lot of organizations out there that are doing things that no one knows about. And I think from the inclusive part, we can't just say it's the big organizations who are doing these things. There's other groups who are doing things as well. Let's bring them to the party and, and have them included to that as well. We need to hear their voice. Absolutely. It sounds like, you know, with a response like that, that there was some pent up demand and that people yes. were excited to have an opportunity to learn more and to participate in this and even to see, you know, the head of their organization um, be a history maker. Yes. And, you know, that's exciting to me that, that other groups said, oh, wow, you've made history come talk to us. Yes. I think yes. that's phenomenal. It is. And it's been, um, uh, it's been, um, Last year was was a would have been a whirlwind without that, but I because I, I wanted to make that as my platform, um, it became even almost double than what I would normally have done or, or what a president would normally have done. And so you know it's everything is about an opportunity, right? So right place, right time, right people, uh, and you have to have a passion for it. And I and I believe in I I firmly believe in it because if you don't, I mean, I I, I have found in my experience that if you don't have a different perspective outside of your own or people who look like you, then you're going to be doing the same thing that you've always done and thinking that you're successful and yourself on the back. Yeah, we did a great job. Did you really? Who did you compare yourself to? Who did, who did you ask? And so, right. you know, when I, when I bring my, when I bring my, my, my significant other into a, a situation, I say, what do you think about this and get her perspective? Oh man. That, that, that the stuff that I didn't even see. So I think that's, that's the benefit. Yes. It is. Mm -hmm. So you've obviously done a lot of work to help people feel included in your organization. When do you feel included? Um, I think that's kind of hard to define because on the surface, people can say, yeah, we invited you to the meeting. Um, we need you to prepare a report. I think when you become inclusive is when you're part of the decision making. Mm -hmm. And when someone says, what do you think outside of the normal group or the people who are called on? Um, I found that, that for me, when I have a meeting, when I have uh, a lot of folks who are in the room and, and a lot of different groups in the room, I try to make sure that every voice is heard. That's not how, how it happens in real life. Uh, what happens in real life is that, and, and my daughters have already attested to this because I've asked them, and they're all they're all professionals. They're all in in, the, in that business world. Uh, one's in, in in defense, and one's in pharmaceuticals. The other one's a nurse, and it's the same thing. Great ideas that they got is shot down because it wasn't their idea. Uh, but then someone else picks it up, and all of a sudden it's their idea. So I think I think the inclusiveness is is when someone says, "What do you think?" And they take your idea and say, okay, well, all right, why don't you run with it? Or why don't you lead this project? Or why don't you go ahead and, and, and run with it? And so the beauty of, of RIMS as an organization is that that's exactly what they do, which is exactly where I am today. Because every time I kept saying, how come we're doing it this way? And, I, and they say, well, what would you do differently? I said, well, we should do that. Oh, great. Why don't you lead that project? And so I end up leading projects and then becoming treasurer and then secretary and vice president and president of the local chapter and then and you get onto a committee and well, why don't you do this and now you're on the board 
But why don't you do this? And then you're, you're president. So, so that's the that's the thing I think. So, in 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 my company itself, um, there's still a long way to go. I think in big companies because there's such a culture that existed, and that culture is a thing that you need to understand. And and that's what I tell a lot of young people. You're going to walk into an organization, you need to understand their culture. Figure out what their culture is first. Understand the culture, understand the language that you need to speak. And by that, I mean that there's certain expressions that that opens everyone's ears. There's certain things that, that, that happen that everybody says, hmm, okay, that's pretty interesting. And it doesn't mean that you have to assimilate. It doesn't mean that you have to change who you are. This means you have to understand the language. Now, you have to bring your spin to it because... As a woman, you're going to bring a different perspective. As a minority, you're going to bring a different perspective. As an LGBTQ person, you're going to bring a different perspective. Those are the perspectives that are needed. And so I think that my drive for DNI now is to highlight the value of all those different levels, but it's, it's a mandatory thing. Right now, it's not. We're creating positions, but I don't see I don't see the action as really that that needs to be behind it enough where it becomes a norm, where it's like, well, okay, let me use history as an example. Back in the 30s and 40s, a secretary was a man who was not a field for women. Now, when you talk about a secretary, they don't want to use the word secretary, it's office manager, but it's mostly women. So so that, that we see the trend has changed. And so now people don't even blink twice when you say a secretary or office manager, oh, yeah, of course is a woman. So that's where we need to be when it talks about a diverse workforce. It needs to be something where we're not trying to put a, a, a check mark or a check and balance. We're just saying we check the box. We have this person. We've hired a black woman. We've hired a black man. We've hired a, a, a gay person or a lesbian or, or a trans person. And, and so they're now on our group. But are they inclusive? Are they inclusive? Are they part of the group? And are they accepted for their voice? And I think that's, that's a critical thing. The second part to the inclusion is that it also has to be inclusive of thought. You have five generations in the workplace right now. There's no inclusion of thought. Because the younger person that comes in, they got some great ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Robert, that's great. That's great. Um, and, and we'll hear from you later. So therefore, they have all this energy. You psych them all up. You told them, run with this project. They come back and, like, and they get slapped down. So after a while, you, you stifle that growth. You stifle that creativity. And I think that the, the whole generational issue is another problem that we've got. We've got to be able to bridge that gap. So when I talk about diversity and inclusion, I'm thinking about diversion of thought. I think about inclusion of thought, that's a critical piece as well. Absolutely. Robert Cartwright Jr., thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for um, making history and for sharing that with us. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate it. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.